Welcome to episode 20 of What's on the Pile. I'm Nathan Besner, and joining me is Shane Lee. Hello. Jane Belcastro. Hi. And Jenner. I figure one of these days we're probably going to lose track of what episode it is. It's it's inevitable. It's a thing that's going to happen eventually. It'll happen. <laughs> I, I, have conting- I have contingencies for All that. Right. <laughs> Uh, This week, we've got an Irwin Allen spectacular with two of the most well-known disaster films in cinema history. Uh, The Poseidon Adventure, the story of a group of people trying to survive a capsized cruise liner. And The Towering Inferno, the story of a group of people trying to survive a burning building. Uh, The Poseidon Adventure was one of my favorite movies growing up. I I thought of it as like a, a Saturday afternoon uh, fun little action romp. Um, I really, I really enjoyed it a lot when I was younger. And so it was really interesting to, to come back and, and watch it again. Obviously, uh, uh, Poseidon Adventure and Towering Inferno, neither were on my pile. Um, who did have it on their pile? I thought I'd seen Poseidon Adventure, but it turns out I hadn't. Uh, I also had not seen Towering Inferno, although I owned it for a long time. These, both of these movies, I think of dad movies, specifically my dad, uh, because he's seen maybe ten movies in his life, and he came to America <laughs> in the seventies. And these types of movies, like with big movie stars and big spectacle, that's probably what he would have watched. So I don't know if he's seen either of these, but these are the types of movies I think of as being maybe the few handful of movies he's actually seen. And I had never actually seen them either. And when I was a little kid. I remember they were a big deal and, you know, everybody talked about it, but I had not seen either. And I love disaster movies and I can't believe I had this hole in my education. I had uh, seen The Poseidon Adventure once, uh, appropriately on a Saturday afternoon on a UHF uh, TV channel. Uh, It had been forever since I saw it, though. It was ages and ages ago. I had never actually seen The Towering Inferno, uh, which... uh, it's one of those blind spots, you know. You just you just have them; they're there. Well, let's uh, let's start off with P- the Poseidon Adventure. Um, it's the earlier film in the Erlen, Irwin Allen uh, oeuvre. Um, I forgot Leslie Nielsen was in it right off the bat. Forgot that he was in the movie. It's easy to rem- to forget that Leslie Nielsen was in any film before Airplane. May- <laughs> maybe Forbidden Planet, but otherwise. And, yeah, I kept not expecting him to say something silly, but I mean, because he has sort of the airplane demeanor, but he's, you know, saying real things. And then I would say after he said something, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did find his byplay with uh, with uh, the kid who he had apparently prior to the beginning of the film uh, invited to come up to the uh, uh, the bridge uh, at any time. I thought that uh, that his byplay there was actually quite charming. Uh the the movie you feel his loss uh, even though he only barely interacts with any of the rest of the main cast of the film it's uh, it, it's actually a very well uh, you know mapped out uh, role and he he gets his own sort of you know full drama with uh, with uh, the uh, the bridge characters uh, during the brief time that he's in the picture in in a movie with a lot of scene chewing uh, he still he stands out as one who does not chew scenery. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, he is he is all business. Uh, in a way, he sort of anticipates, this might be a little bit of a stretch, I think he sort of anticipates Steve McQueen's role in Towering Inferno, but again, we'll circle back onto that later. But uh, basically, he's the guy who's doing the best he can in the you know, demented situation he finds himself in. Granted, you know, his turn of dealing with, you know, the, you know, the, the, the bottle apocalypse, as it were, is a lot shorter uh, than, uh, than McQueen's. Though he does get to deal with his own Carter Burke, he does absolutely get uh, get his uh, his Burke character. Who, I mean, we he, he, that's the sort of the uh, the uh, the Greek uh, shipping flack uh, is uh, the sort of character that personally I would have the, appreciated just a moment to watch him drown. You know, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy whose fault this actually was. I mean, aside from you know, tidal wave. <laughs> I didn't realize I didn't realize Grandpa Joe was in this. You know, from oh yeah, this is this is the only other thing I've ever seen him in. I don't even know the actor's <laughs> name. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was great, especially near the end. But yeah, that's jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah, he was really good. Um, I really liked. Uh, <laughs> I think Jess got a little sick of it, but I liked the uh, the kind of 
wavy motion oh, that yeah. the camera had. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I felt it before I understood what was happening. I was like, this feels like a ship, even though these are probably sets. And then, you know, I noticed the, the camera's constantly just sort of swaying a little bit, which is a really cool effect. How did I miss that? I, I, as I say, I can only imagine what this uh, must have been like seeing it in the theater. Oh, yeah. I would have loved to see this in the theater. That would have been fantastic. It's meant for... Uh, what is the aspect ratio of this film? This was 2.35 to 1. I thought so. I uh, Was it 2.35 to 1 on... Uh, I watched it on Amazon, and I think that they had a uh, 185, pre- or not 185, they had a 16.9 presentation. Uh, they did the same thing with Towering Inferno on Amazon yeah. as well, which also was 2.35 to 1. So it's, I thought so. It's interesting that they're doing uh, what the film guys would call adapted scope uh, for uh, some of the major streaming services. That was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Unfortunate. Some of the, some of the shots got cut, and you could really tell. Yeah, definitely... Uh, clamps the scale of it all i think especially uh i can only imagine how much it butchered must uh, some of the shots uh particularly late in poseidon adventure but you know once again i expect we'll get to that uh later on it's impossible to get away from this film without talking about gene hackman and his performance uh it is quite the performance uh as as the uh priest in i guess priest in training because he was with his but his buddy who is the the older priest? Um, I was under the impression that he was actually a full priest. He was just a priest that uh, the diocese didn't particularly like. Uh, for, I, could, I could see why. For his newfangled <laughs> thoughts. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it is, uh, it, it is, I mean, it, it's hard to remember a time or uh, to remember the possibility that there ever was a time when Gene Hackman was not a marquee name. I mean, up to this point, I think he was largely thought of as just a very solid character actor. I think this may, this is certainly his first, first billing that I'm aware of. Uh, but definitely uh, put him pretty solidly on the map and the sheer extraness of this performance, plus the really spectacular things that his hair does from time to time, uh, I think definitely led to him being absolutely shortlisted for uh, for Lex Luthor and Superman a few years later. <laughs> I th- I think uh, I think he was kind of considered a little bit of a, a rebel character uh, at the character actor at the time, um, mostly because of Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, that's right. That's right. I'd forgotten about Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, even then, you know, thir- third build at best uh, prior to this point. But yeah, definitely. A hell of a performance. Uh, <laughs> you were talking about chewing scenery. Yes, um, and this is this is the first name that came to mind. I, I love that the character is a priest who ultimately dies cursing God. Just to kind of jump <laughs> uh, jump ahead to the yeah. end there. Uh, that that was uh, his final peroration reminded me of nothing so much as the Wicker Man the following year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, definitely, considering some of the actors that he was up against, I could see him being a little bit nervous. Uh, as I uh, commented, I'm going to get to this early before I forget it. As I commented uh, to uh, uh, Jane last night, I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he spends a lot of the movie you know, uh, facing off against uh, Ernest Borgnine in a performance that is so utterly Ernest Borgnine, it's Ernest Borg 10. <laughs> <laughs> clever i was very i was very proud of that at the time but it's one of those there are a lot of kinds of movies where normally you're not supposed to have lots and lots of scenes back to back of people yelling at each other but good lord it's a disaster movie they're they're stuck in an upside down ocean liner what else are you gonna do gene hackman even yells at people when nobody else is yelling yells at god yells at children (laughs) <laughs> he's mostly pretty nice to the children but there are times where again 2021 eyes he seems like he's a little too nice to the children a little handsy yeah, yeah. he's just a little handsy and of course he tells all of the women to lose their skirts except for shelly winters <laughs> i know and then they all climb up ladders and you get the upskirt i swear to god we saw so much uh so much crotch Squir- that squirrel. i thought it was you know squirrel the cover of squirrel hunters monthly i'm telling you it was crazy i was like 
This isn't the Come one. On. Oh, shoot, I, I think I'm thinking of Towering Inferno, where one of the characters helps a large lady from behind. That's no, Towering that, Inferno, right? Or was that this one? No, that, that was, was this one. one. That was this one. Okay, I watched them back to back, so they're they're so similar. But yeah. Well, I'll freely allow there might be such a scene in Towering Inferno. I just don't happen to remember it offhand. How about some of the fat shaming for poor Shelley oh, Winters? Yeah. For real. Oh, I know. At the same time, absolutely worth remembering she got an Oscar for this. And True. Given that 72 wasn't the strongest year in mainstream pictures, yeah, pretty much deserved it. And, and yeah. the yeah. kid did apologize to her about the 600-pound swordfish. And she does get a hero moment. That was oh, actually yes. a big surprise to me. I thought she was just going to be the uh, sort of dragging everyone down punchline for the entire movie, but then she gets her moment, which is really cool. Really unexpected. When I was growing up uh, watching this, um, there were two things that I always kept in mind. Uh, one was that I thought Gene Hackman was cool as hell, and he was great. And uh, the other was that Shelley Winters dying is one of the saddest scenes ever. It just made me, it made me so sad at the time. Um, I was able to weather it this time. I did all right. Uh, Gene Hackman... On the other hand, I, I'm not sure I like his character as much this time around with with older eyes. I mean, if he had been wrong about any one thing, I think that would have made him a lot less. I, you know, the fact that he's right about everything, you're, you're sort of along for the ride. If he was wrong, then he would just seem like a bastard. I was struck as much as anything else. Uh, I mean, yes, uh, Shelley Winters' badass turn is absolutely freaking uh freaking beautiful that was uh the the two bits that uh or uh, the two main death sequ- uh, scenes at the end you know shelly winters and then subsequently gene hackman were the bits that did really stick with me from my original viewing of the picture that and ernest borgnine yelling a lot i mean yeah. at and, everybody all the time and the the fact that his bombshell wife so she was a prostitute and he arrested her six times in what seems like his attempt to court her is just kind of thrown out as soon as you meet them. Yeah, by early seventies, troubling. By early seventies standards, it's actually kind of charming, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with, with Shelley Winters, the the swimming moment. It's funny having watched this and then watching Towering Inferno right after. I don't want to jump too far ahead to the other movie, but there's a very similar scene in that movie that turns out very differently. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of hilarious how differently it turns out in the Towering Inferno. I found it, uh, I was particularly struck that uh, this is a movie about water with a whole lot of fire in it, and ultimately The Towering Inferno is a movie about fire with a whole lot of water in it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like the fact that everyone, this one really just followed one group of characters for the most part. I think it really helped, I mean, I liked all the yelling, you know, they're in a situation where they would be yelling at each other, and to have this tight-knit group kind of traveling through, I thought that really worked for me. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I. Re- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to jump to a different topic, so go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, just for the uh, the Ernest Borgnine alone, I uh, this reminds me that I probably need to get a DVD of this for our friend Casey from uh, uh, from Bastards of the Universe. Oh uh, yeah, he's low key obsessed with Ernest Borgnine, and as I say, there is so much Borgnine in this. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. This Borgnine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I went into this not sure if uh, I was wondering how the effects were going to hold up. I mean, it was genuinely terrifying. Like when the boat tips over and they, you know, the whole set goes upside down. That's pretty ridiculous. And so my DVD, uh, had, I had the subtitles on and there are subtitles of people crying out for help that you can't really hear. So there's like, don't hang on to me. I'm going under just these little subtitles going across the screen of just random people shouting for their lives, which was really terrifying and really effective. Apparently, Borgnine drops an F-bomb at some point that I've never heard. Yeah, I missed that one as well. I did not hear that. He's, it's apparently when he's lifting the tree, he says it's like it's fucking heavy or something like that. <laughs> it's probably not a probably not ADR'd. <laughs> no. <laughs> In other words, that was probably not the character. That was probably Ernest fucking Borgnine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, that's that's exactly the... The story behind that one. <laughs> um, something I find interesting about this film and uh, this type of film, I, I consider it almost a genre unto itself, kind of a little uh, niche genre of 
archetypal characters in a group being killed off one by one, uh, which would be the pickoff film. <laughs> Similar. It's uh, Aliens is in a way kind of the the best pickoff film ever made. Uh, this is the pickoff film to me is almost almost like a slasher film, in in its construction. You you've got all of these characters. They're going to get killed off one by one in horrifying ways, and uh, they're going to be these long tense sequences. They it follows the the slasher genre. Uh, the slasher genre really follows it uh, quite quite nicely quite interestingly in my opinion what do you think well except of course as hackman uh, uh, rather astutely observes at the end of the film the slasher is god yeah <laughs> and in, in this one the bombshell dies last or almost last and she dies in the dumbest way oh i that's i that's the thing i hate most about the that's if i had a moment that i hate it's that one in that movie i don't think that they should have killed her off i thought that that was a ridiculous little uh I don't know, plot contrivance. I guess they just wanted Borgdine to uh, resist Hackman a little bit longer. <clears throat> Excuse me. To, you know, just to create that tension at the end. Is, is Borgdine going to get them out now that now that Hackman's gone? Let's get rid of the wife. Yeah. Definitely the movie is not very nice to some of its female characters. Uh, I was kind of struck on this viewing that, yes, Shelley Winter's death sequence uh, or death scene is incredibly sad. Coming right after her hero moment almost feels a little bit too contrived to me, or at least that was kind of my feeling this time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, really? Just heart attack. She she exerted herself. I mean, she was under there a long time trying to pull Gene Hackman out of that wreckage. I mean, she manhandled it up. Poor choice of words, but I'm saying she like used all of her strength. She, she gave everything to get him out of there and then she didn't have anything left when she got up. But I was, I didn't think it was that bad. Was and it, it was esta- certainly. Was it established that she was in poor health, or was this just more? She's fatness? just old. She's just, she's just fatness. Fat. She's just old, and uh, yeah, and unfortunately, uh, above uh, you know higher, uh, what is it, uh, mass index there? BMI. BMI. Yeah. So yeah, a little higher BMI. So. And that poor woman gained thirty-five pounds for this movie. Really? Did she know? Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she apparently she was never able to lose it for the rest of her life. Oh, well, after she I can understand on. that. As, oh, yeah, a woman of a certain age, and what's it? Yeah. Oh man. I got, I got, I got a rocking dad bod. Got my love handles. <laughs> it's so hard to get rid of once you get to yeah. So yeah. she she might have even known going in that it wasn't going to come right off. Ah, she still lingered around well into her 80s, I believe. She sure did. Uh, yeah. She was around for, you know, I, I think she passed the millennium. I don't know. I might be mistaken on that one. Uh, I think you're right, yeah. but I have to go look it up. And she kept working, so, uh, yeah. Basis of the uh, of uh, the uh, the anecdote in uh, swimming with sharks, <laughs> the bit where you know uh, you know the uh, the producer or ta- uh, talking about uh, you know the producer schmoozing you know Shelley Winters, she reaches into her bag, pulls out an Oscar, bl- uh, uh, bangs it on his desk. He continues schmoozing. She reaches into her bag, pulls out the other Oscar, bangs it, <laughs> bangs it on her desk. Says, "Some people think I can act." Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, did anyone else get anxiety watching this movie? I, I have a thing with underwater movies where I don't, yes. I don't I don't handle very well, especially all those scenes of everyone swimming under that thing to get to the engine room, and then Gene Hackman swimming, and then something slowly just falls on him, and he just goes down, and he can't do anything, and we just linger on him. Um, and also the scene with, like, going through a narrow shaft is, like, my worst nightmare. Yeah, and they, they were, oh, yeah. They were definitely riffing on this when they constructed the whole underwater sequence from Alien Resurrection. Yeah, that's. I was pointing that out. I thought it looked just a lot like that. But honestly, underwater movies normally drive me up the wall. And for some reason, it didn't. I mean, it felt like the sets were big. And I didn't even really feel like they were well enough underwater. You know, it's like I knew that the bottom of the ship is a of the air and that I knew they could get out if they just got up high enough so it didn't bother me it's not like they were you know miles and miles underneath the sea that's when I start to freak out 
Yeah, and then that, that narrow shaft didn't end up being that narrow. It was plenty of room. I'm there only was plenty of room. And of course, then they end up in the engine room, which is visually just an absolutely amazing sort of hellscape uh, sequence, but it feels roomy. Uh, it looks like uh, the Lake of Fire in Gustave Doré's illustrations from Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bit of a reach, but that's what it looked like. Uh, yeah. A little bit more industrial detritus, but uh, aside from that. <laughs> uh, did anyone else think that Grandpa Joe was going to die at the end? Like, so they showed him, you know, during that final sequence, they just showed him clumsily, like, lagging behind. But he'd already made his decision to go on. So I was like, are they really going to kill him after that? I don't know. I just, it, they kept on lingering on him. And I was wondering if, if they were trying to make us think that he was still going to die. And I didn't I think wondered. he would because he had a job. He had to get that, that necklace right. to his grandson. He had promised. So point, point of the movie. Wouldn't that was, have been a shame? Point of the movie was to make a couple of guys single and get red buttons a girlfriend. <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, but I, I know what you're talking about, Shane. Uh, um, they did. They they would cut back to him every once in a while, and he would be struggling along behind them, never quite catching up. And they did this for like five or six edits. Yeah. And uh, so I really thought something was going to happen, but nothing ever does. It's just they just. I guess he's realistically lagging behind because he stayed behind. Well, I mean, in a, in a who's going to get it next movie like this, you're you're always sort of inwardly placing your bets uh, bets on. It's a, ooh, okay, I got money on that guy. That guy's going down. And <laughs> if they subvert your expectations, more power to them. But to circle back on uh, something Shane had suggested earlier about the special effects in this movie, uh, what I mean, what we have in here is obviously an absolute minimum of optical printing, but uh, the visual work, which I think is mostly miniatures, if I recall correctly, is just absolutely stellar uh, in this picture. The... Uh, the upside, the, the the shots of the upside down uh, ship. It didn't even occur to me for a second as I was watching it that it might not actually be a ship that was upside down in water. It it looked oh see it, it looked great. It looked fantastic. See, I didn't think so. It was just the opposite. I'm like, that's a model. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I got the that's mo- a model. I got the model feeling a lot more from uh, from the towering inferno. I but, did as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. both of them. I mean, that one had a lot more optical printing in it as well. That is, say, uh, blue screens and super impositions and such. So there was definitely a lot more overt visual effects work in that one. But this, uh, I can only think of maybe one or two moments where there was an imperfectly matched blue screen uh, or anything like that. I thought it was generally just a really, really good-looking uh, picture. The effects work held up, I thought, really terrifically. I I think they held up in a way they did not in Towering Inferno. Yeah, yeah. That that said, digital clarity has not been uh, terribly kind to a lot of older effects pictures. But uh, I imagine we'll probably discuss that a bit more in the second half. <laughs> oh yeah, there's one shot in particular in Towering Inferno I want to talk about. But uh, back to this movie. I not that I was bored by the movie at all, but I kept finding myself uh, checking the sets to see if they were accurately upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. You know, the lettering. Uh, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I was like, is there anything that, that doesn't look right? Is there anything that's actually right side up that they just got lazy about? No, it all it all looked pretty convincingly like they were in an upside down ship and all the areas that were walking around were meant to be the other way around. And it, yeah, it was just really impressive set design. And a really terrific eye for detail, which I think is the uh, the reason why they have the scene with uh, with uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the precocious little boy uh, going to the gents. Just, I, I find myself wondering, you know, did they make that set for that scene or did they make that scene for that set <laughs> you know just the, the visual humor of you know looking up and there's all of the toilets uh, up above you uh gave a, and he uh, would be standing in the wastewater <laughs> like I, I the whole time i was like listen son you are walking through a giant toilet right now so <laughs> just let <Gross>. fly <laughs> But I like the, the, uh, that the, the gentleman's you know, sign uh, was, uh, was upside down as well. Now, I thought, I, I thought that the, uh, the set work was really, really magnificent in this. It was quite beautiful. And, and a lot of, uh, like a lot of great stunt-related films, uh, a lot of the effects were built directly into the set. 
uh, you could kind of tell where those showed up every once in a while, like uh, uh, gas lines that act as fire, giant fireballs and that sort of thing. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of going to Disney and seeing the uh, uh, Indiana Jones stunt show where they do all of those, that kind of stunt work. They do it live as a performance for you. All the pyrotechnics and such. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's it's really fun. It's really fun to be there. This does have a very sort of thrill ride uh, in the absolute sense, uh, like in the sense of a, a, a fun house uh, in, uh, in a theme park kind of thing. It does have a lot of that quality to it. I mean, aside from, you know, people drowning and stuff. But you know, realistically, you know, they're actors. They get paid for this. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> No, it's a, I mean, it's a very much a point A to point B picture. I mean, you know, obviously and by definition, you know, take a setting, throw in some uh, some uh, fleshed out uh, archetypes. And I will grant the archetypes were fleshed out pretty interestingly in this. We had uh, a lot of time to kind of get to know all of these screwballs before, uh, you know, we're uh, on the edge of our seats, uh, you know, waiting to see them uh, see who gets out. Uh Speaking of who gets out, the, the beginning of the movie has a spoiler. It says there are some survivors. <laughs> well, it didn't have to be from our group, and we didn't know which ones. But you were right. The you're ones, right. the ones heading toward the bow, were right the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I don't love this movie, but I did really like it, and I, I, I think tellingly, I liked it more than I liked it when I saw it back in the late '80s on television. Uh, it's just. I, I don't know. I think I probably possibly gotten more patient with the longer running time. I never got, but I never got bored, uh, and uh, always found it consistently entertaining. It's, uh, you know, yeah, it's definitely not, entertained. It's nothing terribly monumental. It does make me want finally to get around to watching Wolfgang Peterson's remake uh, from uh, from the uh, from the aughts. Uh, I haven't seen that either. I haven't either. I watched the Didn't trailer. You say afterwards. it was. Oh, it's the remake, not the. You said that there was. Oh, uh, there, there's also uh, a mini. There's actually sequel. two. There's actually two. Well, there's also a sequel, which is its own, very very peculiar kettle of fish in its own right, and that's another one that I remember because I think I saw it right around the same time, and I remember having the surreal experience of you know watching you know Michael Caine and uh, and Sally Field, uh, you know, busting into this ship to try to do some salvage when it turn uh, where they run afoul of freaking pirates led by freaking Telly Savalas. <laughs> and all I'm, this was the one that Irwin Allen actually directed and all I'm thinking for all that movie is Gene Hackman's down there somewhere oh. it's a oh. weird and surreal experience it was not a particularly good movie I, 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 I did not feel my time was terribly well spent at the time that I saw it that might be worth a, a, a revisitation just for the historical curiosity of uh Older bad ideas. I don't know. I don't know. You're you're kind of making me want to see it. Yeah. No. I. I mean. I mean. Just for. I mean. Savalas was always a joy when he played a villain role. In any case. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean. I still remember. Uh, my God, he was so amazing in Horror Express. He was underappreciated uh, as uh, as a heavy. Uh, you think of Kojak, you don't think of the uh, of the lollipop t- uh, 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 popping devil from uh, uh, from uh, uh, Lisa and the Devil by Mario Bava or anything like that. But yeah, no, he he could be sinister as fuck. So I don't know, maybe that actually would be worth a revisitation. I just remember, oh, Michael Caine and Sally Field in a sequel to the Poseidon Adventure. How did I not know about this? And I just remember, you know, seeing it as like, oh, okay, I can see that not really having a lot of legs. I mean, this was out of my vocabulary at the time, but that's you know sort of my current reinterpretation of uh, my feelings at the time. Mm. I f- I found uh, watching this film, I could see the edges. I could see the tattered edges. Kind of, it's it's going out of style. It's starting to come out of time, and in a couple of years, it's probably going to be one of those out of time kind of movies where it it doesn't. It's not something that people revisit anymore. I find it really peculiar that it was based on a novel by Paul Gallico, uh, who, growing up, I primarily knew as a writer of books about cats. So, so it was already, uh, be, because I was fairly obsessed with cats when I was a kid, I already found it a fairly surreal experience that this was a work from the same guy who wrote The Three Lives of Thomasina. Um 
So that's uh, as far as I know, it's pretty much the only pot boiler that uh, that I ever did. And in some ways, it kind of shows, assuming that the characters in the movie have much of a resemblance to the characters in the original book. Well, um, I think that's about a good place to take a break. Uh, unless anybody had any final thoughts on the Poseidon adventure? I'll note that beyond the Poseidon adventure, at least as of yesterday, does not appear to be on any streaming services currently. Oh. At least, well, none of them for free. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And my mom said when I told her we were going to watch this, she's like, just go put your head in upside down in the bathtub. The same thing. (laughs) She's a wise woman. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and take our break. Uh, We'll be right back. back uh we're going to be talking about the towering inferno uh starring one of the greatest salad salesmen of all time mr paul newman i love his salad dressing it's so good it is his pizzas are good too yeah they are and his uh and his pasta sauces yes yes he has a he has a wide range of, of very good uh uh grocery items that you can pick up <laughs> also one of the greatest actors of the 20th century or at least certainly, that, that cer- too. certainly the latter half of the 20th century and uh, the uh, uh, the early years of the 21st you know when we talk about things holding up his looks oh <laughs> yes. my god i mean he's... he's still just as hot looking i mean gene hackman great actor not attractive <laughs> paul newman holy cow he could just like you know model now i mean that he's just got a I hate to say timeless look, but just, you know, that, mm, yeah. <laughs> he, he is my mom's favorite. <laughs> I think he's a lot of our mom's favorites. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. so. My mom's a big fan. Him and, Red, him and Redford. I don't even think she's seen uh, Butch and Sundance, but those are her two guys. Anyway. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my mom's crush is Peter O'Toole, so, you know. She, we've also... <laughs> She also kind of digs Michael Caine, yeah? Not as much. Not as much. She always says, Peter O'Toole makes me drool. (laughs) (laughs) Never have I heard those words. (laughs) Uh, We've also got Steve McQueen in this production, this Irwin Allen production, um, coming in uh, in a perfect Steve McQueen entrance in, uh, in a cool car, looking cool and manly. Uh, This had a huge cast. Huge yeah, that was, that was the first thing I noted, just name after name and O.J. Simpson. And then <laughs> also... And Bobby Brady. Yeah, and also Fred action... stare. <laughs> and action scenes directed by the producer credited in the opening. I'm like, this movie has to have some amazing stories about what happened on set. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, one of the earliest instances that I can think of of two major studios uh, collaborating on uh, on one production. This was 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers during a period where that kind of collaboration was, pre- uh, as far as I know, almost unprecedented and almost unheard of. And it, it worked for them. Uh, like uh, the Poseidon Adventure, it, it, it's impossible to overstate for the time how obscenely successful both of these films were. Uh, they were both, uh, well, strictly speaking, uh, The Poseidon Adventure was a Christmas movie from uh, 72, but it ended up being the most successful movie of 1973, and Towering Inferno ended up being the most successful movie of, was it 74? Four, yeah, Four, 74. Yeah, 74. So they, you know, they you know, took one you know, great strength and launched right into another one. And I think at this point, it's... it's probably worth noting that uh, these well, we talk about these as disaster movies it occurred to me that i had never really kind of articulated the idea to myself but as we were watching this that there are basically two kinds of disaster movies uh there are the you know large scale disaster movies i mean you think of well more recently san andreas which was actually a hoot uh when we finally saw it not too long ago but yes uh uh, the uh i suppose uh, probably the genesis of the genre i mean aside from some early progenitors back in the 1930s uh certainly the first uh, major one in color was probably george pals when worlds collide 
uh, and other stuff like uh, Crack in the World, but uh, they really started uh, to uh, to hit their stride and and kind of peaked for a bit uh, with with this uh, Irwin Allen run in the 1970s, lending itself to the producer, of course, being referred to as the master of disaster, even though up to this point he was primarily known for you know producing Lost in Space. Um, but uh, the great other, show, great show, great show, great show, mm-hmm. and uh, of course he schlepped over John Williams from uh, from Lost in Space as, in, as well, which is kind of fun. Uh, and uh, uh, you could look at either of these kind of as his calling card that ended up uh, getting him uh, uh, the uh, the job on Jaws, and so to speak, the rest is history. But these are uh, sort of the Rolls Royces of, uh, or certainly among the uh, uh, the higher caliber efforts of uh, what we could call the bottle disaster, the, uh, you know, the single location uh, disaster picture. Uh, the most recent really famous example, of course, probably being Titanic, similar principle. So I think that's yeah, a can... useful delineation because y- y- you know we love subgenres. We do. We do. <laughs> yes. that's, that's why I love the, the pickoff film as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love well, I love my little well the pickoff film cro- the pickoff film is a fun idea because it crosses genres it crosses genres yeah. all over the place um, oh yeah yeah it doesn't necessarily have to be in horror it can it can be in many different uh, different uh, genres yeah like, as we said uh, so who's the slasher in uh, in the Poseidon adventure uh, water and God <laughs> who's who's the slasher in uh, the to- the towering inferno uh, you know <laughs> Fire, bad electrical, bad electrical, bad electrical. you know, uh, graft, <laughs> and and yeah, definitely a little bit of God. I mean, he you know he threw in the high winds at the high altitude, uh, you know, at the end of the film. You know, he he doesn't get off scot free from this one either. I I found this movie to be a little meaner than Poseidon Adventure, which which already had a little bit of meanness to it. Uh, but having like the uh, was that Robert Wagner? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Robert yeah. Wagner character having him and his his girlfriend, and they're all lovey dovey, and that's it. That's their whole arc is that they love each other and they are there to burn to death. Yeah, he's not even cheating on someone with his secretary. He's just dating his secretary and yeah. keeping it quiet so there isn't any office talk that causes her trouble. Yeah, no, that that was uh, you know what happened to them was actually a pretty major surprise to me. I did not expect them uh, to do that to Robert Wagner. Yeah, I mean, in a movie that was almost three hours long, they could have easily been cut out entirely. Um, yeah. And, and that Robert Wagner, he's the one I was talking about with the Shelley Winters scene in uh, Poseidon Adventure where, you know, she's a swimmer and he says, you know, I can run the 110 seconds or whatever and he immediately catches on fire, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And then when the when his secretary jumps out the window, it's clearly a stuntman and I think the stuntman's even wearing a mask. And gloves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the fire flame retardant gloves. But yeah, they sh- they show up and they're just dead. I was yeah, I was also very surprised. Yeah, this this is a film that takes a long time to set up minor characters just to fuck them up, which I think is an interesting approach to filmmaking. Uh, to circle back for a second, I can't stress enough how much I freaking love Steve McQueen in this movie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, there he's have, a machine. I mean, especially in the scenes where you know it's basic uh, ba- between him and Paul Newman, it's basically dueling incredible blue eyes. But uh, <laughs> there were a lot of times that Steve McQueen got varying degrees of fairly or unfairly dinged for basically being kind of a block of wood. This is a movie that needed that block of wood. Um, yeah, this is yeah. a this is a guy with no affect whatsoever. No fear, just getting the damn job done. But it's an amazing method performance of a guy who is all business just getting tireder and tireder and tireder from the first moment that he turns up on screen until the very end. Uh, he started out crusty and just continued to, till, to I mean, just cul- built on it. Culminating in the single greatest, oh shit, <laughs> th- that I think uh, I have ever heard in all of motion picture history. <laughs> I, I actually forgot he was in this because he doesn't show up till like 45 minutes in. And then the minute he shows up, he just dominates. He doesn't just, he dominates the screen and also just dominates the situation. He just owns everything he's a part of. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, even Paul Newman's character was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> it was great. Lending itself to a moment that Jane and I uh, 
both really appreciated right after McQueen turned up in the movie, where Paul Newman, as this guy who quote unquote used to wrestle bears in the, in Montana or whatever the hell it was, you know, sees one of his friends on fire and freezes up completely. I, I thought that was sort of an amazing human moment for a character who up to this point has been, you know, presented as, you know, Paul fucking Newman, you know, the, uh, he could do anything. Yeah. The, 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 the he's just like, what do I do? The the archetype. Also, I think to some extent it's very possible that uh, the line about wrestling bears may have been a little bit of a, a discreet shout out uh, to uh, one of uh, Paul Newman's almost immediately preceding pictures, the life and times of, uh, of judge Roy Bean in which he wrestled a bear and won. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody could pull it off, it's him. Yeah, but even he you know, behaves in actually a realistic human manner. Uh, I, I actually appreciated all of the care that went into these admittedly, from top to bottom, mostly incredibly underwritten roles. Uh, I, that was something I noticed about McQueen's character, the, the writing of the character, and, and just what happens to him throughout the course of the movie. It's a very reactionary uh, character. Very, it just reacts to the moments that are happening in the script. Uh, from it doesn't actually have any uh, impetus of his own. No, I, I get the feeling that McQueen probably took at the, uh, took a look at the script and says, "Is this line really necessary?" Okay, cut it. This one, no, cut it. But Mr. McQueen, what? <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. McQueen. <laughs> I can believe that. No, it, 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 it is a a beautiful method performance of a deadpan son of a bitch. It's beautiful. Yeah, when they when uh, Paul Newman asked him who was gonna take the explosives up, and and he had already decided, he was like. Sure, they'll find some dumb son of a bitch to do it <laughs> or something like that. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, a little detail I liked uh, was the scissors not working uh, when they're trying to cut the ribbon. I, I really that. liked I no- that detail. It's it's so indicative of, of the building itself. I, I noticed that too, and I thought, yeah, yeah, omens, guys, seriously. I mean, I mean, technically at that point, the building already was on fire, <laughs> which I think is sort of the amazing thing about this, uh, this picture, which uh, I don't know is that it's necessarily as good as the Poseidon Adventure, but I think I liked it more than the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, I mean, not least for McQueen, who yeah, I should have gotten uh, a lot more praise, I think, even than he probably did at the time. But uh, the sheer methodicality of everything going fucking wrong in the movie, it, it's it, 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 it's almost a shit getting fucked up procedural um, <laughs> because it starts off with you know one little room that's on fire and when they find the fire in the room the fire has not already considerably spread to any other spaces it just continues to do so relentlessly anyway and we get those periodic shots to outside the building it's like well okay that's up to 74 no explosion okay it's up to 78 (laughs) (laughs) well you know try to first no go ahead when, when they first introduced Fred Astaire and he's counting out change for the cabbie I, this is probably a stretch, but I was like, are they foreshadowing all the counting of floors we're going to be doing? Because he, he counts out like 85, yeah. 95. I mean, I guess that was to show that he's kind of a cheap bastard or that he's poor or whatever. But. I th- No, I think that may actually be on the nose enough that I think you might have something there. That That is, I hadn't thought of that detail, but I, I, I think I think you may be onto something there. I think I can't confirm it. Idea. I like but it. But yeah, <laughs> I actually, do too. Noting Fred Astaire and uh, and uh, Jennifer Jones. Well, Jennifer Jones as his love interest uh, is actually a really lovely performance. And again, she was one of the ones where I was cheesed that she, you know, didn't come out okay. Although I'm glad her cat was okay. Is that uh, uh, Lisa Lett? Yes. Fred Astaire, I think, is the only overwritten character in the movie. Uh, and, 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 it, and it's a charming performance just because it's Fred fucking Astaire. Uh but uh, I don't know. The, uh, he, he he seems to get the most to do as an actor, which is interesting when you think of him as you know primarily a song and dance man. I mean, mostly Paul Newman is just being Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman, except at that one moment where Paul Newman freezes up. Uh, Faye Dunaway is generic love interest. Uh, 
not to put too fine a point on it. She was a good screamer. We'll give her that. Uh, you know, Steve McQueen. Well, I mean, Steve McQueen is a, a whole nother realm. Uh, I mean, almost literally, he spends most of the movie kind of divided from most of the rest of the characters that we're following. Uh, following. William Holden, as the owner of the building, is kind of a joy. He's uh, the only other one who is as entertaining to watch acting as either McQueen or uh, Astaire, lending itself to that one moment where he's, uh, where, where, where he's verbally sparring with Richard Chamberlain as one of the all-time great douches in motion picture <laughs> history. But, what a uh, great death, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hol- oh yeah. Yeah, but Hol- uh, but uh, but Chamberlain tries to muscle by to the uh, uh, to uh, to the air chair, uh, the uh, uh, breech buoy. Uh, uh, you know, just saying we're going to go through, and William Holden pushes uh, you know pushes him off to the side. I turn to Jane. I say, "This is how you know that uh, that it's acting because if that were actually William Holden, he would have chucked him out the fucking window." <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mentioned um. Uh, Fred Astaire's girlfriend. So we're all familiar with uh, Propeller Guy from Titanic, right? She got it worse than Propeller Guy. She bounced off the side of a burning building. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I, okay, I, I was when... not happy about what happened to her because she was I, actually a really likable character, and I really liked the arc of her relationship with uh, with Astaire because she was wise from the get go, but she still liked him. I yeah. I agree. I I think that that's where the movie of eventually lost me was uh was her death uh but when they throw that little model out and it goes wee and then hit something (laughs) and you know they didn't they did yeah i cracked up i thought that was i thought that was fucking hilarious and i of course was like stop killing off all the middle-aged ladies yeah like what's the point what did they gain there nothing show them we're serious kill a kid if you want to be serious yeah get serious (laughs) can't do that though because that's a, yeah <laughs> oh, no, no, no. it's funny when, when oj no. simpson rescues the cat so there's this board game called flashpoint i think it's called flashpoint fire and rescue where you're yeah. firefighters and you can like save you have to save people from the building the dogs and cats are worth just as much as the people you save in that game so mm. this is as it should be i will favor this approach to scoring <laughs> I was yeah. glad the cat made it out. Yeah. Although they should have given the cat to the kids, not to Fred Astaire, because you know what the fuck is a two-bit con man going to do with the cat? Unless he's probably homeless. I unless mean... he figures out how to incorporate it into his grift. I don't know. <laughs> don't give the cat to OJ. Well, back then it was different. <laughs> Leave that yeah. aside for the moment. <laughs> um, the general plot of this movie really really reminded me of the Poseidon adventure it, yeah sure. it, it fit that formula almost to a T I was uh, saying this exact same thing uh, down down to the the singing the song and the everybody gathered in the large room that's gonna get eventually fucked up and goodness the song is terrible both times it's <laughs> <laughs> got uh, to be a morning yeah. after oh and nobody's dancing to the right rhythm yeah. they're, they're kind of dancing on, on both of them yeah. yeah so obviously they had some good music for them to dance to either that or it was just you know that's what clueless white folks thought they were supposed to dance to a uh, dance like at the time i don't know uh, yeah but back to that formula you got a brother and a sister uh a, the sister freaks out and is comforted by um uh the hero, the um, middle-aged lady dies. It's all man-made construct construction, you know, that, that goes wrong, and it's greed that pushes them into this situation in the first place. It's, it's it, it was definitely a formula. It's the same yeah. goddamn movie. It's, it it's is. A, it's a formula that really freaking works. This is the sort. It of, does. This is the sort of movie that you can freely and unironically enjoy for its epic cheese factor uh th- th- this is a movie where the ridiculous stuff is as entertaining as the stuff that's spot the fuck on you know uh, like uh, richard chamberlain as a you know 38 centimeter asshole uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh my. i'm amazed he didn't eat the glasses he kept slugging down <laughs> uh, <laughs> wanted to chuck back a whiskey bite into the glass and just start chewing on it it's a, it's it's such a broad performance but it's every bit as entertaining as these uh, as the very serious work that uh, that uh, some of the uh, that uh, some of the actors are undertaking in the picture 
I mean, the formula works, but for me, it just it just could have been shorter. Like there was a point where I thought, okay, they got it figured out. This might work, and then I realized there was another hour left in the movie. And after a certain point, it's just one thing after another. It just keeps on going. Well, that, well, that was the point where they added fire above them to the fire below them when they blew up <laughs> the damn helicopter on top of the building, isn't it? Which, uh, what was in that helicopter to make it explode on impact? I know, Bombs. Right. To say no, to say bombs nothing, and gasoline. To say nothing, I, <laughs> I, I would have appreciated a moment of Paul Newman as he was pulling in those uh, those two idiotic women who uh, ran out on the uh, on uh, onto the uh, the helipad, just taking a quick moment to give them a, a, a sharp slap and throw them down and throw them down the stairs. Uh, there, there is a lot. There is a bit of idiot plot, uh, you know, mixed into this movie. I mean, granted, you know. When panicking, uh, animal or uh, uh, people are as panicky animals as any other. Uh, that being said, dude, listen to Paul fucking Newman. You know, just just gaze into his blue eyes and do what he says. <laughs> I mean, my favorite my favorite funny scene. It wasn't a funny scene, but I found it funny. It was when you know uh, they all rush into the elevator. They're like the guy says, "Don't go down the elevator; it's gonna catch on fire." And immediately it opens on a floor full of fire. Everyone's screaming. Goes back up. Everyone's on fire. I thought that was hilarious. That, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I'll agree. Uh, I'll I'll agree with uh, with Nate that definitely this is this movie is a little mean at times. Uh, the, I mean that be, that being said, the meanness is entertaining in a way that a lot of uh, cinematic meanness for most of its time uh, isn't. Uh, I mean, like you say, the only the only death that left me raw was Jennifer Jones. Uh, I mean, not least since I've always liked her, going back to you know, beat the devil, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, she was always kind of underappreciated as uh, as an actress. But uh, no. and what about the kitty? The kitty was fine. <laughs> yeah, I know the kitty's fine, but he's gonna miss his mom. Yeah. Okay, now I'm sad again. But in the mean, but, but in the meantime, the meanness, as much as anything else, in an age that has been. In a post-splatter comedy age, I'll put it that, uh, or that way. Uh, yeah, the scene with the elevator is just freaking funny. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's absolute gallows humor. It probably wasn't intended that way, but that's you know kind of the way that we're going to appreciate it most at this point. Although you said the elevator scene, and I started thinking, wait, that wasn't funny. My favorite part was when Steve McQueen rescues the glass elevator. That, that was yeah. badass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. He's holding on to that guy. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. it I, was so good. And just good. that quick look of relief uh, when he finally drops the guy and the guy lands in the uh, in uh, the uh, the air mattress and just has that moment of... Because <sighs> you know, he didn't know. I don't think he knew that yeah. that air... Well, yeah. his character... He didn't know how far down they had gotten at that point. So he just had... Right. That, so he just had that... He just let go. That one momentary circular exhalation of relief, and then it's back to work. Because he's Steve fucking McQueen. <laughs> I mean, my arms were sore after that scene. I know, just, right? Just imagining. <laughs> this is the kind of movie that was made to get extended by another half an hour and turned into a two-night uh, television event on ABC in 1980. Yeah. Yeah, that, that tracks. You know, you, uh, th this is the story. I remember this. Uh, I, I know uh, you mentioned, Jane, that uh, this was all anybody was talking about around the time that it originally came out. They were still going on about it, uh, even at points where I can start to remember things, uh, you know, around 1980 or thereabouts. In fact, I think I may have, I think I may have actually not watched uh, its its ABC premiere, uh, which was a two night event, probably right around 1980. It looks scary. We were talking about we. Uh, I know that I had an issue of Mad Magazine with uh, Towering Inferno lampooned in it and i think i actually um, had the same one i don't remember yeah. i don't remember anything that they did with it but i remember it existing that's what i did with my uh with my allowance back in those days mad magazine so if it was in there it was it was big it's hot and it's a pity that uh that alan particularly as a producer never really recaptured the magic of this one um no, he had uh, he had some efforts of uh, of you know varying degree of uh, uh, varying degrees of niftiness or not so nifty. He continued to work, which you know good for him until he died. Uh, but he never uh, it, it it ended up becoming a uh, a bit of a joke. I mean, particularly largely unsuccessful efforts like when time ran out or that sort of thing that I think actually ended up 
And this, I think, is really unfair, uh, getting him a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award for Worst Director with from the Golden Raspberries. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, oh. that's uncalled for. Yeah. The man was, uh, you know, for for better or for cheesier, he was a pioneer. Um, something I uh, I really liked about the film was the ending and how melancholy it was, uh, or at least that's the feeling I got from it was that it was a very melancholy ending. And uh, uh, the only we only lost two hundred, we only had two hundred bodies. Uh, line really got to me, and I thought it was uh, it was interesting that. Uh, they went with kind of a somber, more more realistic end there. Yeah, I mean, I really like the final exchange between McQueen and Newman when they're talking about, you know, building design and safety and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. But, but yeah, it, it definitely was a little bit of a, a, little bit of a downer ending. It was shell-shocked. That was the feeling that I got particularly from the focusing on the individual characters. It was, it was major, major post-traumatic stress, you know, almost instantaneously. It seemed very real to me that, you know, I mean, after you've been through a trauma, what do you do? You just sort of try and take it all in and discuss it with the people who are also in it. And they did that really well. What the hell just happened and how the hell did it happen? That's what's got to be rolling over and over in your brain after something like that. This movie also gave a lot of love to the fire department, which uh, I really appreciated because firemen are great. No, yeah. as, as I say, just as a firefighting procedural, I love the progression of the bells. You know, they start off with, I think they started off at two alarms already, but you know, then we've called in the third alarm, and then later on they made sure we've called, uh, you know, the fourth alarm just went off, and then they finally get up to the, five, uh, the fifth alarm. They didn't skip any steps. Uh, I mean, they cut away to other people, but there is almost a real-time aspect to the movie. It's, it, it's not quite real-time, but it's really close. Uh, and the procedural aspect, uh, I think, is particularly for uh, uh, for uh, firefighting in part- or, uh, especially, uh, is not something that I really th- that I think has really been uh, tried or done in, in any other uh, well bottle disaster movie. Certainly not that I can certainly not that I can think of. We don't have a lot of fire movies. I mean, we can. Probably name them all right here, yeah. <laughs> There's that one with Joaquin Phoenix, Ladder something, which was actually pretty good. Ladder 49? 43, something like that. Yeah. Fi- Firestorm with Howie Long. Oh, yeah. Nobody? Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, it had Scott Glenn, so it couldn't have been all bad. And I guess that new Angelina Jolie has is a fire movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A little bit curious about that one, because apparently it works best when it does play closest to a disaster movie, but there's just too much plot in the middle of it, is the word that I've heard. Still probably give it a, still probably give it a look at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued, but I don't know if I'm intrigued enough to actually give it a watch. I mean, the thing about this movie, and I think this is a valid point for almost any disaster movie, is the plot stops when the disaster gets to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can ha- you can have all of your machinations. You could be skimming your know, money off of the side and trying to avoid having to pay for it. You can you know have a, 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 an actually really sweet affair with your secretary that you're trying to keep discreet. All that shit stops when the disaster gets to you, one way or another. Truth. Well, back to the the, the procedural and the love of the firemen. The one thing that I got really excited about was is. It seemed really technical, but I understood everything they were doing. I didn't feel like I was being talked down to, but at the same time, I felt like I understood everything they were talking about. And it, I, I know that seems like a small thing, but to me, you know, it, it was good. I really liked that part. Yeah, I mean, I know the folks that uh, the folks uh, listening to this in audio only can't uh, can't see this, but raise your hand if you had the foggiest idea what a breaches buoy was before this. <laughs> no hands. No. It looks nope. like so, it looks like so much fun. I oh, mean, if, Jesus. It, it does. If, if it were terrifying, if it, if, yeah. it, if there weren't if there weren't a burning building behind me, I would love to ride something like that. It's uh, like a ski lift. Okay, you're, yeah. you're on a just a rope. Not that high. Yeah, no. no, I I am not really particularly afraid of heights per se. 
and I'm not really a frick, uh, particularly a uh, afraid of open spaces per se. I am freaking terrified of high open spaces. <laughs> oh, I'd want to be strapped in. I wouldn't want to just sit there clinging to it like they were. No, they they had a seatbelt, but you I know. I would be I would be I would be screaming my ass off the whole way. I would probably wet myself at best. Uh, you know, it would I would not be a I would not be a pretty sight on the other side of that ride. I would, I would close my eyes and just go to my happy place. <laughs> I would just die. I would just die in one of these movies. You'd just be a corpse by the other side. Yeah, oh, that's oh, me. Oh, 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 I thought you meant you, I thought you, you meant you'd die in the breach boo. You'd just be in there like, oh fuck this, and just die <laughs> on, your, on your way across. <laughs> and Steve McQueen would look at it, she's like, well, that's a trip wasted. <laughs> <laughs> we could have given that buoy to another person, you dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on uh, the Towering Inferno? Thanks for suggesting them. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. enjoy both of them. Good, good. No, I'm I, glad. I, I like my disaster movies. I yeah, actually, me too. I actually really want to see this again. I think I'm finally going to get get around to picking it up. This was this was a bigger blind spot for me than I realized, and I had a great time watching it. And uh, and you know, thank you for uh, for reminding me that it existed. Yes. Well, thank you everybody for watching them. That's going to do it for us here on What's on the Pile. Join us next week for a horror comedy double feature with Psycho Gorman, the touching tale of a malevolent space monster and the psychotic little girl who controls him, followed by Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, the story of two hillbillies who are mistaken for slashers by a bunch of dumb college kids through a series of misunderstandings. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at What's on the Pile or visit our website, whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for hanging out. <laughs>